0: Welcome to another episode of Leadership Style Power Podcast. I'm Catherine Cassidy, CEO of YouStyled, and I'm so excited to have Jessica Grounds of Project Mind the Gap with me. So um, I think I'd rather just dig right into it because you have such a juicy background (laughs) in terms of how you got to where you are with Project Mind the Gap. So maybe, Jessica, if you could share a little bit about what you're doing now, um, and then we'll get into your journey here
1: okay. I love being described as juicy. Yeah. So it's really exciting. So a year ago, thanks in big part to you for helping our launch, our company, Kristen Haffer, my business partner and I, who've both worked in women's leadership and gender strategy for 20 years, uh, started project Mind the Gap. It's Mind the Gap, M-I-N-E, not mind, like in like in London, um, the idea is, uh, the name is to mine the gender gap that we have in leadership between men and women. As we know, there's very few women in leadership across sectors. Um, but we started it because we really saw, we see gender, or the, the increase in more men and women working together as a real potential for financial uh, inclusion. We see this in research from Goldman Sachs, from Ernst & Young, from all these amazing catalysts, that companies that have more women in leadership produce better results, but also make more money. And we felt like in the space of our work across sectors, particularly the private sector, while we had gotten our start in the political sector, the businesses really, while they were talking about it, they, were, they weren't quickly changing the numbers. And right. so we are out there to advise companies on how to better, more quickly think about how to include women um, in their leadership dynamic, where there's big gaps. It's not, It's. not. The challenge is it's not a silver bullet, but a lot of times there's, there are a lot of best practices around how companies can uh, really think about advancing and bringing a more inclusive environment for all people to flourish. So Amazon Web Services is a big client of ours, which is really exciting. So we're doing more work in the tech sector, but we're not leaving politics. And, uh, for example, we just launched a really cool initiative in California in March where we're really working to get the private sector more interested and interested, interested and invested in the women's political space, particularly around women's leadership, which I've worked on for a long time to get women to run for office, I really see that companies are being impacted by the lack of women in policymaking roles, and companies care about policymaking, but for, for them to really understand the need to invest more in getting more women nurtured and trained to run, I think, is a really interesting place to live. So we just uh, launched the California Leadership Collaborative um, in March. So we're doing all these really cool projects. Yeah, I mean, a lot more than that. <laughs> Never but... a dull moment, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. It's, it's exciting. So
0: um, so you have a really interesting background because you've launched Project Mind the Gap. Yep. You were recently in L as one of, what was the exact? It was actually
1: Marie Claire. Marie oh. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> I was in L also back in the day. That must be what it is. Exactly. That so we've got,
0: we've got some political... Uh, DC famous here. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. I don't know. No, but you, you've not only have you, you came here from California. Mm -hmm. What brought you to DC first off actually?
1: Yeah. So, um, I was 22 when I moved here and I joke a lot with people, I guess men and women, but I think it's particularly funny for women. I moved here at 22 and I literally couch hopped for five months. I couch surfed, if you will, um, I interned in DC and fell in love with Washington. I grew up in San Diego where I um, grew up and then I went to college in Los Angeles. I really actually should take a step back and say in college, I worked on my first political campaign and that was really my first inspiration into sort of the political sphere. I worked for a woman candidate in uh, Los Angeles. She was running for the assembly of California. And for me, it was a really cool exposure to politics and at such a young age, you get you get to really be invested in and they really need your help at a young age in politics. So I got really excited about being used and being able to use my kind of potential and my work experience. Um, but then I learned real quickly that there were so few women in elected office. I didn't really know that until I got into it, my studying, and and um, so I was inspired about that issue of brown women's political leadership. And then I interned, I moved here to uh, find a job at 22, couch hopped, like I said, for five months. And I found out there was a young woman running for Congress, and she's 20, she was 27 at the time. And I, I think I almost forgot that you could be so young and run for Congress, 25 for the House and, and 30 for the Senate. And I went and met her at this event. This is, gosh, 13 years ago now. And the organization um, that was supporting her was Women Under 40 Political Action Committee, Wolf PAC, which is um, still around and alive and well. as a bipartisan PAC supporting young women candidates. So I got really involved with that organization, which had been co-founded by my good friend Susanna Welford. And then a number of years later, we co-founded Running Start together because what we saw was it was great, we were supporting all these young women candidates, but that we don't have enough young women inspired to actually run for office. And so Running Start really, if you've heard of Running Start, with high school and college women um, to inspire them into leadership. So I got my start in that space, but actually my real day job, and this is the funny thing about people who may or may not know my background, I was it wasn't until twenty ten that I was actually doing women's leadership work full time in my career. So I had moved here in two thousand three. So for seven years, I was a political consultant and I worked, I left up to work on a number of campaigns instead, of, including Hillary's primary election in, in Iowa and Hillary Clinton for first time she ran for president and um, I think what was so interesting is what, what I was seeing in my work, I was working as a political consultant on a lot of races was I was the only woman can't consultant. I was, nice. so I continued continue to even learn wh- whether I was, you know, working full time around women's stuff or just in whatever industry how are all of these different structures shaped by men mostly? And the way we built politics is shaped by men because they were the ones who were first involved with it. And so really, if you unpack that idea, everything for the most part in life has been built around how men operate. And how different is it for women, whether we have life life experiences that are different, obviously. And so um, that really has actually sort of been a thread throughout my career where I've seen it in all of these different facets and what is different about where kind of how women might approach an issue. And we see this in all this research around business women's leadership, right? Like women just they are not going to necessarily step up and be like, yes, I'm gonna be next for that job, like a man might. Um, And so those dynamics are really important when we think about what are we doing to limit the potential for women and sort of the messages we're hearing and things like that. So um, so yeah, so I have, I have a pretty exciting, I think, background in this work, but what's exciting, I think what's been really nice, I think a good lesson to learn is I feel very fortunate that I found my passion early, but I think what people have to realize is I didn't, I don't, if you look at my resume, it might feel like it all fits together, but it, it I never knew what that next step particularly would be, you know, right, I had absolutely. to be open to sort of, there could have been a lot of different paths I took. Um, and so I think to really be clear about sort of what drives you and be open to opportunities and to take risk. I think there are definitely moments where, for example, I was executive director and co-founder of Running Start and people might've thought, oh, that's exactly where you should have been. And then Ready for Hillary contacted me about the women's director position. And I left a lot of exciting, that exciting work to do something for Hillary, but I think that was, you know, that was partly a challenge and that was partly something I had, I had said that I would, I would do. So I think we have to look at these opportunities in life and be willing to step into those um, those risky things because we will we'll never win unless we actually do that. Absolutely. Well, and I yeah. think
0: there's something that kind of came to mind as you were ch- talking about your path, which as you say, it fits together, but you wouldn't look at that as yeah. like Oh, that was the next thing. How much of the sort of DC environment of the networking, the connecting, the collaboration, the support do you think played into opening up those opportunities, creating that like awareness around what you wanted to do?
1: That's a great question. Huge. But I have a great story about that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, firstly, especially if you're here in Washington and you're not already doing this, you're starting your career get out and network. You should be out every day. Exactly. Uh, I mean, within reason, I'm like very much about work family balance, but also like taking care of yourself. So I have like a Monday role where I basically don't do events on Monday. Don't book a Monday event. I will probably not come. (laughs) Um, no, but, um, other than that, I think it's really important that you get out there and build your network. I think in my twenties, that's, that's what I did. I went to different events, anything I could find, even if I didn't know people there because that challenges you and stretches you and you build this network. One of the good skills around that before I tell my funny story is um, when I was, gosh, let's see, 24, I'd worked, I was working for a guy named Marty Stone and um, political consultant. And I was, I remember it was a couple months into working for him and he kept having all these meetings in his office with different people, but I knew they weren't for work cause I was on top of sort of like clients coming in or whatever. They were just different meetings. So one day I finally went up to him and I said, Marty, who are you meeting with? And he said, oh, um, well, yesterday I met with this woman, Sharon. She's looking for her next step in her career. And then this guy, Tim, you know, I used to work with him, whatever, at another political organization. And he's kind of figuring out his next path. And he's like, I just kind of share my Rolodex, share my network with other people. And that's something that I learned really, really early is um, you have to share your network. You have to really, um, I think you have to be open to that. And it actually benefits you more than you know. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, the funny story about the network, just one more story, lots of stories. So most recently, as I, or more recently in my career, I, I mentioned this Ready for Hillary transition. And what happened was this, my good friend of mine, Heather King, she had served on the board of Women Under 40 PAC for years. So because of an all-volunteer position, I knew her. So I was president of the PAC and she was on the board. So she had worked for Hillary Clinton previously and had been part of that network and called me and said, hey, Jessica, would you be interested in... Um, this position. So anyway, she helped me through the whole process and was really amazing. And I remember vividly, we and she came with me to the meeting where we met with the heads of Ready for Hillary. And, and I, and I said, um, we were walking back from this meeting, like where they basically were like, "Would you like the job?" and all this kind of final stuff. And I said, "Heather, I have to say, this is such a great story for all my young women. The only reason I know you and you thought of me for this job was because we had volunteered together on this pack, and it was all about my network, and that's how I got this position." And she said, she looked at me, and she's like, "Well, you're right, but actually, that's not why I thought about you." And I'm like, "What? It's not because I'm amazing, and you should have thought, <laughs> thought about me for really? I me mean. And She's like, Well, yes, but I rem- I thought of you because you had said to me, The only way I'd leave Running Star is to go help Hillary Clinton become the next or the first woman president. And I said, Oh my gosh, I did say that. So I think that that lesson is like, say what you want. You never I, know who's listening. And I literally did that and didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, I
0: think there's so many. I hope I just want to kind of unpack the like <laughs> nuggets that are in there as far as developing your own leadership a you know you were networking for connection for support collaboration it was not just what can i get out of this which right you can see a lot of networking and a lot of women i think have a hard time with networking because they see it in that traditionally masculine way of the getting versus the giving right and women tend to be more giving in yeah. how they network and and support each other which not to the point of like giving too much. You need to still take care of yourself. But you also established yourself as a leader before you were given a position from a corporate perspective. Right. By going out and taking on voluntary leadership roles. I really think that women downplay their leadership characteristics, qualities, experience Yeah. because it's in volunteer capacities yeah. versus a traditional CEO, manager, whatever role. And I think that there's like... I mean, that's one of the reasons for doing this podcast is so that women recognize themselves as the leaders that they are. Totally. And I love that your story of volunteering (laughs) in a leadership role because of something you were passionate about created an actual corporate leadership opportunity for
1: you. Yeah, it's true. And um, I think that's a great point. And part of that is a hard reframe, though, in that Um, we still do value that sort of traditional way of looking at leadership. I think even when women are running for office, we saw this with Nancy Pelosi. We see this with a lot of women candidates. She, would for the first time, and this was kind of newer in this sort of women running for office movement, embrace, I'm a grandmother and I'd be good at becoming the next speaker because I've managed all these people and I've managed all these children. And I think it was sort of poo-pooed in the press a little bit. But I think sort of reframing how we look at the skills you need to be good at these things yeah need to be reframed in the light of experiences that women have a hundred percent and so and that leads even to a bigger conversation around what we value as leadership style in, in business and that's and in politics um, that's something Krista and I are really trying to unpack when we talk about being gender strategists we're not just talking about women although that's often that's our focus and expertise in a lot of ways it's also about like how are men trained around this, of appreciating women, but also appreciating their own styles, and how do we get to a place where we sort of see women and men, um, um, of course, as equals, but sort of bringing a different dimension. Right. And so, again, and, and it's hard because this work, you know, not all women are the same, and not all men are the same, but we see trends. So, for example, this is kind of my example of a trend. We see in psychology that women are... 60 percent um, of women are feelers, but men are are, are only forty percent feelers, mm. um, and so you have you have a different sort of trend around personality type in gender. But it doesn't mean that, of course, all men are like that, or all women are all women are feelers, and all men are are all men are thinkers. But um, so the point is, is to say. There tends to be sort of themes in sort of how women and men approach things. And if we actually appreciated a more feminine style of how we come into leadership, we do tend to be more collaborative. We do tend to be like, let's actually be a problem solver in this. You need to have both of those sort of like the ego risk style and this sort of collaborative style. But if you get that, and we see this again in research, which is so lovely, it's backed up, that diversity really ends with the best result. But we're still working to a place that really does appreciate women's contributions in that way and then we have to work on building women's skills to be there so it's both both of those dynamics are really important absolutely
0: and i think what something that i've seen and realized in my time in dc is that it's not so much about women in leadership though that is the point of the work that i do and the work that you do yeah because of the fact that we have to catch up essentially yeah but it's also how do we just make sure that the best people are being put in the positions of leadership Right. versus what you're essentially talking about with the group think of like this person looks like me so they and they totally. act like me so they must be a great leader as well. Right. Whereas that's where you get into situations like the financial crisis because people are making decisions with the same information, the same experience, exactly. the same versus like, uh, I don't know about that because yeah. my experience is different. My leadership
1: style is different. Being able to kind of catch
0: it. Exactly.
1: So. Exactly. The confirmation bias is really, really powerful throughout a lot of sectors that are not diverse. And I'm doing work in the tech space now and seeing that the neat, the neat thing with the tech sector is there's a little bit more of this undergirding of a quality from the standpoint of innovation. They actually totally get this research, but they don't know how to necessarily get to where they want to go. Yeah. Uh, because it is sort of a, There's a bit of a you know a boy male culture sort of thing that sometimes feels uncomfortable for women but they totally know they need it they know that that more diversity in thought is going to lead to better innovation which is exactly their goal so that's um that's an exciting place to sort of um jump into this work and see where we can start making making moves happen so i love that very exciting yeah
0: i we were talking offline a little bit about you know what we're both working towards yeah. um so obviously jessica has project mind the gap i am you styled and passionate about the work that we're doing successful in our own right at the size that we're at but it needs to get bigger yeah. so let's talk about visibility as uh-huh. a leader yeah. <laughs> you know what are some of the roadblocks that you've seen in the work that you've been doing you know all of these years coming up through washington in washington dc um, but even now, especially, that you are getting into yeah.
1: companies. Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest va- challenge, and it's a parallel, whether it's in the women's political leadership space or now in the corporate side more so, is just valuing this issue and wanting to put money behind changing it. Um what I tend to see throughout life is this expectation, especially around the gender diversity stuff, that there's some sort of silver bullet. Like we just need to do a training and all these women are gonna do it and everyone's equal. Or <laughs> let's just have a maternity for, you know, family medical leave policy and all the women are gonna stay. And it's like, there's not a silver bullet. And so in terms of visibility and sort of, um, I guess my challenge around sort of scale, you're kind of asking around too is is harnessing this pivot, which I do think we're in. Like, I think, I mean, clearly we're in this. And I've I've seen it for, I would say over a decade, almost a decade now, particularly, I mean, my little benchmarks are when Hillary ran for the first time. I really saw this upswing of, cultural narrative that where there's all these articles about the lack of women in whatever issue (laughs) industry because it's every industry. Um, So which is really good because you have to have this undergirding of sort of educational awareness before people are going to invest in stuff that they don't know that they need to be investing in. Absolutely. So we're sort of in that great pivot point where I think the time is right for people like what you're doing Catherine and what Kristen and I are doing to to really elevate this stuff. Um, And I think I mean, there's so many elements of this. I mean, I, I would say the visibility piece is, um, that's challenging too, is people are like, well, isn't that what other people are doing? But there's just so much need to get out there. I think there's a lot, there is there is kind of that chattering class of the same people talking about this stuff, and it needs to penetrate sort of regular people um, and smaller, mid-sized companies. And I think, you know, again, as you said, being in DC and New York, there is sort of that East Coast bias or whatever or kind of uh, echo chamber so that's something I was talking about at lunch today with some of my good friends who have worked in this movement for over a decade, and that's what we really, I think that's kind of the next step of visibility is how do we get out of out of these, these sort of bubbles to really reach real women throughout um, the age range and socioeconomic levels to really reach them and find them. But I think that requires strategic investment in that like you and I both can't fix every piece of this problem. And so nor should anyone be expected to, that's when I get, so this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I get a little frustrated when anyone's critical of any one woman speaking about her experience in this work. So I'll give you a very clear example. Like for example, Cheryl Sammer got a lot of pushback on Lean In because it was like this, um, it was coming from this sort of white elitist, experience i think she was pretty honest about it being coming from a white elitist experience so with that though i think women especially us as white women we have to be really conscious of inclusion of being really cognizant of women of color all of my mentees are women of color it's important for for me to have that experience of working with awesome young women um for them to have that but they also have experience working with other women of color as their mentors so i think we just need to be talking more about this versus being like isn't an issue because we i think the women's movement was traditionally segmented for women of privilege and um or talked about so um yeah there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here but i my my philosophy is to be like hey we need to hear from all of these sides and Mm -hmm. that will help with both of our visibilities as people visibility as we see um i think the, the sheer need for this i mean i'm I'm all. I know you. This is your mo too. Like we need to collaborate, but we need to highlight this other work because all of it's really leading to different pieces of the puzzle to sort of fix this challenge we have. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and
0: what you share about being in this East Coast bubble with the bias. I mean, that was one of the first things that I noticed when I moved yes. to DC. When I learned about Running Start and she should run in these organizations, that I'm like. I mean, even AAUW, like that is my jam. 130 years old. Right? And I should (laughs) have, I would have, if I had known, why didn't I know about it at USC? Yeah. I should have known about it. They have supposedly, you know, a chapter at USC. So there's like a really big issue. And I think, you know, even just the visibility of these organizations from an organizational perspective, it's an interesting parallel to the visibility of women. Yes. Period. Yes. Great point. You know, as far as like being willing to raise your hand, being willing to put yourself out there, going on TV, possibly, you know, running for office or rising up the ranks. And you, you know that you're gonna be critiqued for everything. Totally. And it doesn't, it takes a, lo- a lot of fortitude and, and like self-assuredness that, okay. And this is something that I've learned and I would love to hear your take on it, your experience having been in DC doing the work that you're doing uh, around, you know, okay, fine, that's their insecurity. That's yeah. them being threatened for whatever reason. And you can have compassion for them yep. in that there's a reason why. Why are they feeling that way? That right. has nothing to do with me. You, know, you don't have to take on that responsibility of why they're feeling that way, but you can at least just have the compassion that there's something there that they need to work on. Totally. And, yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't make it like, any easier to have to keep moving through that and keep hitting those you know, mini barriers along the way.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think um, it's a great, I, I think that's a good psycho- psychology sort of approach to it. Oftentimes, if you have that conflict, it's more about them than about you. Um, I was reading a good, a, a really awesome woman to follow on Twitter is a woman named Tiffany uh, Dufu, mm-hmm. who
0: Lee wrote, Raleigh.
1: yeah, Lee Lee again. she also wrote Drop the Ball recently yes. in her book, and she's an old friend of mine from this work. She used to be at the White House Project, and she was talking about, um, I was reading her quick snippet on her, uh, her tactics for public speaking, and I do a lot of public speaking, but she talked about how, and this is so true, it's more being confident about who you are than what you're saying, frankly. Because, and she was like, do you ever notice when you're in an audience and someone else is speaking that's like not doing a good job, people are really uncomfortable because they want you to do good, like they want you to do well and that, and you're going to do well when you're comfortable with like where you are and who you are. So I think the visibility, this kind of kind of all ties in together as you're talking about what you do is really owning whatever that style is, like you, right. you talk about. And I've, like, for example, for me, I mean, this is something I actually don't talk about very much. I'm really casual. Like, I'm a Californian. Which is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm also a uh, daughter of a shrink and a pastor now. Um... <laughs> I was always sort of pretty colloquial, not super formal and like DC is much more sort of, there's like this formal edge and I just was like, you know what? It's just not me. I'm not going right. to wear hose to that event and I'm not going to whatever. And I think the earlier I figured out how to embrace that, and I think it does help with age, like I just turned 36 and when you're, you know, when you're 24, it's a little harder to just do that. And I get that. You have right. to kind of come into your own along your way. I'm not saying like, but I do think there is a piece that as soon as I was sort of like, this is kind of who I am take it or leave it within and within measure of course i definitely learned from people i learned from Susanna, my former colleague so much she's much more gracious than i am and i was much more impatient but i think she learned some good intensity from me so you learn from people you work with but you kind of develop that over time and um so i'm pretty sort of this is who i am but i I, that's also a great narrative though around building your brand i think it's like I love Twitter for just like whatever I think is interesting, and I shape it more around my women stuff or any gender conversation versus like a fun conversation. But I think you sort of craft that sort of this is what I'm about, this is what I think is interesting, and people are interested in that. They want to have somebody who's sort of a theme, and um, and so that's my theme is women. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's great. My for the five C's of leadership style power that we talk about, the yep. first one is courage. Yeah. Because you know, that's your why. Right. The second one is connection. Who are you and who are you talking to? So like having those two pieces is like what makes someone raise their hand. Right. And want to get out there and do more and get out of their own way. Right. Um, so I love that she's saying, yeah, th- th- you absolutely, like you have to be completely grounded in yourself. Right. Before taking those steps to put yourself out there. Uh, yeah.
1: And that takes time. I and mean, I mean, I feel it's it's one of those things like advice to have. Get a great therapist. I mean, like I or just being able to talk about sort of your hang ups and absolutely no, it's perfect. I mean people who are out there have issues, like it's not like you're like, Okay, I'm a perfect moment, then I can get out there, but to sort of be solid around who you are. I mean, that's the number one thing I noticed with candidates that are good for our elected office is the ones that I really appreciate and I know are gonna do well are the ones who are grounded in sort of Least they know where they're coming from um, because it's not easy to lead, right? And so you have to be grounded in something because you're going to be pulled in a lot of directions. Everyone's going to make you be whatever they want you to be. Um, That's what that's the process of it. And so being clear with where you're going is a really important piece. And um, having great partners, I've been really lucky. I had Susanna for a long time as a great business partner, and now Kristen Haffert. And I feel very fortunate to have had those bonds because. we help each other be better than we would be by, by ourselves, so it's good. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm that very
0: fortunate. <laughs> well, and, I mean, it's to the point of leadership. Like, my perspective is it's not just about women in leadership. Like, you and Kristen have different styles of leadership. You even mentioned you and Susanna have different styles totally. of leadership. You're both women leaders yeah. who lead differently. Yes. So, and it's the, it's the compatibility. It's the pacing. Right. And the... <laughs> Sometimes someone needs to be idealistic and a dreamer, and the other time yes, someone needs to practical. ground that in reality. Totally. You know, you do need to lift and lower in that sort of a thing. Absolutely. Um yeah. so I think that's that's but it's
1: based in trust, right? And yes. real trust of each other. Absolutely. Just like I mean, there's it's not that dissimilar from a good relationship in love, you oh, know. You it's a marriage. It's it is. I thought my work spouse and my Absolutely. my real spouse, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very similar. But I do think like when I started my company by myself, I originally started solid ground strategy and then uh quickly, quickly partnered with Kristen around Project Mind the Gap and um, I feel really fortunate about that because doing it on my own I've been okay but I do think that's I think partnerships are really powerful for women I think they exponentially show their sort of assets and are able to scale I think mm-hmm. men do this more quickly yeah I and mean, you're talking about this a little bit sort of I definitely noticed the scale problem for women um, I think oftentimes because of what we go into is a part of it, but men are going after VC funding; they're getting it more often. Right. They're more product driven, though, and we're right. often more sort of uh, purpose. purpose driven. Absolutely. So it's you know that that is definitely an element. But why aren't we investing in some of this purpose driven stuff? That's a whole other piece. Um, but that you know, there's all of these dimensions around this. But if you can do it with someone else who who shares your sort of Passion is it, it, it makes a big difference to be able to grow. I think more quickly. Well, and it goes back to your
0: point around getting a therapist. <laughs> it really helps to have someone
1: who you can bounce ideas off of yeah. to get perspective. And and in career, uh, executive coach. I didn't get one until business school. I went to yeah. business school. George Shannon. Um, my program encouraged us to have an executive coach. And actually, that's a funny story because I remember being like, I'm too busy for an executive coach. I don't have time for this. And then you know what happened when I finally met with my executive coach? She helped me figure out how to deal with all my time problems because <laughs> I was running, running start with Susanna. I was in school and I was doing some consulting. I was like bananas. And she really helped me to figure that part yeah. out. And, uh, and also, of course, doing a lot of mentoring, which I continue to do. So... Having a personal coach and a therapist, and then having a life co- or a career coach and, a, and an executive coach is, again, this does take resources. So mm-hmm. it's helpful when to find some free people to help you along the way. And then, of course, as you can right. afford them, right. that is an issue. That's a limitation, but it's it really does help. But I will say,
0: I have found time and again that successful women invest in themselves. Whether it starts yeah. with the investment of time, so you could, I don't know, were there any books perhaps that yeah. helped you get fo- move forward as Cause that libraries, you can get any books. Yo, that's from the a great, library great point.
1: I mean, there's so many things that people hear, like leadership books, like Seven um, Habits of Highly Effective People, Covey, and those I think are great. But, but many um, that were life changing, or just sort of completely shifted your perspective. You know, yeah, one it, it isn't a book. Um, there is a series. So I'm a huge, um, huge uh, Harvard Business Review fan, and partly because I got exposed to a lot of it in business school. But there is a, um, one of, and I'll have to find it for your team to look at, (laughs) but there is an amazing article on different leadership styles. And it talked about sort of transformational leaders and servant leadership. And Mm -hmm. it talked about all of these different styles. And it sort of, for me, unpacked, oh yeah, like this is all the different kind of things you could be, but there's probably even some combination of different ones that you are. And so I think that story or that narrative around different leadership styles was really, was really powerful for me to, um, sort of understand myself I also I mean I read a lot about women like women who've done it before women who've led so I'm reading right now I'm reading Ellen Johnson Sirleaf's um it's not an autobiography but it's a book about so she was the first woman president of an African nation of Liberia and and it's um I find those stories to be really powerful to see in myself like what did she do where did she set boundaries I mean she like left her husband who's abusive and she took a lot of, like, she was selfish at times, even when she had children. And all of these just, like, life moments. And so I, I read a lot, like, Madeline Albright, I read about Hillary stuff, uh, Shirley Chisholm. I mean, just amazing women in history. I think that's probably more I've taken some of my cues off of getting to know their stories to sort of inform, hey, she went through this, too. Right. And she's a badass, right. so. The original Trailblazers. The original. <laughs> exactly. Do you have any...
0: Um more
1: personal
0: sort of guides as far as how you've evolved as a leader, as a person, mm, um, yeah. icons, mentors?
1: Well, I, it's funny. I, I definitely think um, I've had a number of key women in my life, like in Washington, who have been my mentors who are now just like my girlfriends. So it's kind of funny as time evolves, you're right. you kind of have to look to new mentors or whatever, or you get to a place where like, hey, what's going to really challenge me? I mean, do you want me to give specific names or just, like, what they did? I mean, I, I had, like, particularly in my 20s when I was really growing in my career, and I still am, but, like, I was very directly overt about having a team of five people who I could call at different places. And the thing that I did about them is I kind of, like, categorized them. Like, if I'm having a big life change, there were two to three people I would call. If I'm having a, a challenge within the women's movement, if you will, and I, like, wanted to get good sound advice, I'd have a couple people I'd call. So I sort of categorized people based on my needs at the time. And that was really helpful because if I kind of went one-to-one and I was, they weren't, so cultivating them by becoming their friends, but also helping them right. and just, um, and they were men and women. Um, my very, one of my very first boss, Marty Stone, still, I consider a mentor. He was through my working with him, but also just keeping in touch over the years and then helping them along the way as a uh, mentor and a mentee, I think, so um, I think being really overt about it. And then, of course, I think to to all of our sort of need and also it's kind of a requirement I would encourage of all of you as women is to think about who you're mentoring. As I mentioned, I have five, like about five really awesome young women mentees. Um, they're just, you know, they text me once in a while. I, I make sure to see them about once a year, if not more. And at different points in my life, they need me more. and um, so I'm just I make myself available to them. So I think those are those are sort of those are sort of important pieces of being intentional and like actually having a little bit of a framework around it is helpful to figure out what you can actually achieve too, because you only have so much time, you only have seven days in the week, you only have so many hours in the day. So That's brilliant. Yeah. So you just being, you know, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I mean I think that there is
0: that thread though that you have been very intentional throughout your career even if it's not necessarily, it's more in hindsight I should say, that you realize, oh I was intentional but there was always this thread of intention throughout.
1: Yeah, I think there was. I don't know where that's come from. From <laughs> can't shrink mother and pastor dad. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Having, I always joke with my mom. I was like, mom, like millions of hours of free therapy. Um, so, by the way, if I can just make a plug for my mom. Absolutely. She just wrote a book. Her name is Dr. Claudia Groff-Grounds and she wrote a book called We've Had This Fight Before and it's all about how couples have the same three underlying recurring fights. <laughs> it's not that I you mean. have 300 <laughs> fights if you have three of the same sort of foundational fights and I think it's a great book. So you can check out, we've had this fight before. I think you can get it on Amazon now on um, download Kindle. Yeah. Um, anyway. We'll like to see you. <laughs> Totally. No, it's great. We have to get her on the podcast. All right. So. <laughs> Everyone's had a fight.
0: Right? Uh, we've all had these fights. Yes. I mean, that's typically the reason why it ends. Yeah. It's like, well, we've had the same fight and nothing's exactly. progressed. It's, so, you know.
1: What's the, what's the root of that? But, yeah. So. But if you can get to
0: the root of it, maybe things don't have to end. So. Exactly.
1: That's and being well self reflective, I think that's that's probably helped me. I mean, I'm not always self reflective and I talk a lot. I, I I try to learn to listen better, but I think um, Yeah, but we have different ways of processing.
0: I tend to think you may talk through it. Exactly.
1: And especially, I'm married to my opposite, especially which is you. a little joke. <laughs> yeah. Well and I would say though is that
0: both of your parents are in talking professions. Even exactly. though your mom's more of a thinking in terms of her role in yes. it, like those who she's working with talk a lot. So.
1: Exactly. Oh, yeah. I definitely learned. Like, I learned to talk through my problems, and I think, but that's good. Like, it's, it's good not, advice. Oh, it's a like, keep it inside, it's not exactly no, healthy. Process and that. Get it out there, whether it's talking or thinking through it or whatever. But I think that's that helps you to make good decisions too, because you shape through. And I also, you know, I don't know why I did this so early. I think it was probably Marty mentoring me. Like, I brought people around me while I was making a decision it's I didn't do it in isolation like yeah so like Susanna and I would argue about directions of Running Star and I would actually bring our interns into the office because I wanted them to see an yeah. example of healthy argument because we often have this like oh there's no conflict it's great when everything's perfect like yes nothing's perfect life right. you should have tension and conflict like that is how you move to another and Kristen and I have that for sure like Absolutely. you have to but you're gonna make a better end result when you get through that in a healthy way. It comes from respect and love, but you're but you're you're kind of weighing through, okay. And then often, you know, sometimes you can be wrong. And you're like, you know, right. what? I was totally wrong. Right. This is a good direction, but you wouldn't know that unless you sort of walked all the way through totally the conversation, push through it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So,
0: do you have any last words of wisdom for um,
1: our audience? It's a
0: very broad audience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, depending. I guess I was speaking to. At any stage in your career, I would say, know that sometimes if you're really looking into leadership, it can be very lonely. And so you want to have a team around you to, a couple of people who really are going to always be your champion, because it's easy to hear a lot of naysayers in life. So one of my best pieces of advice I heard a long time ago was you're going to get as much advice as you ask for. And so recognize that you want to have that team around you that you really trust uh, to kind of sound ideas by because You don't want to keep asking everyone for advice as you move through life. You just kind of have those key people and then trust that you're making the right decision and then go for it. So there you go.
0: (laughs) What I love about that it's you have your power posse, you have your people,
1: but ultimately
0: it's still your choice. So you can take the information, you can take the feedback, and just do it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you you so much for coming. This was so fun. I'm excited. thank you. I'm so glad that you all got to get a little insight from Jessica and her juicy background.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna add that to my descriptors I think on LinkedIn. So. It's it is. We're gonna have to add that. You Networker have, and juicy background. <laughs>
0: well, it's it's like for how long you've been working, it's very it's a very full resume and Thank and you. it really is full of life. And so that's why I think juicy is just a good descriptor it's like Yeah. You have, obviously you have so many stories because of all of the things that you've done. Yeah. So
1: thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great one. See you soon. Bye.